Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian Van Vactor, and I am sitting in for Dave Robson as co-host. This is a weekday Bible answer program from 5 to 6 p.m. We are live streaming from Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And in studio with me today is our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hello, howdy, sir. howdy. And our associate pastor. I like assistant. <laughs> assistant, associate. Associate, I don't He's know. He's my right-hand man. I don't know. Put it this way. I think the website when, when, says when, associate. When stuff <laughs> hits the fan, this is the man. That's that's our motto. For <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pleasure being on with you, Adrian, always. And I don't know if it's assistant or associate. I remember there was a person in the church at one point that said, man, you're not an assistant, you're an associate, and this is why. And he had a whole, like, you know, official reason why it should have been associate pastor. But um, it seems like they are interchangeable, mm. you know. Associate seems to me like, uh, we're just, I'm just associated with you all. I don't really do anything. But if anything here. gets tough, I'm out. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm just an associate. Yeah, you can't play. Co-pastor, no. how about no. co-pastor? And you and I have been doing this ministry together Mm-hmm. Almost from the get-go. You showed up how many months after we started the church? Maybe three months, four months? Because that Northridge earthquake. Yeah. It was March. Yeah. Yeah. You were living First in, week in March. You were living in the valley, San Fernando yep. Valley. Yep. Uh, Bo and I grew up about 10 miles away from each other. Yep. Served the same spots growing up. Um, 13 years apart in age. Yes. Uh, just like my little brother. And, Which is uh, awesome. And his apartment was completely destroyed in the Northridge earthquake. That's right. That's right. And that's why you moved out here, right? Yeah, that's right. We felt a super doozy, and we were on the epicenter in Northridge um, during the Northridge earthquake. Unfortunately, 16 people died behind us in, uh. in the Meadows apartments. Uh. Those were a three-story apartment complex that collapsed onto the first story. Ours happened to be a two-story right uh, called the Darby House, right across <clears throat> from uh, Northridge, uh, Cal State Northridge there, the college, and uh, it was a two-story, and it, it held together but man when you're on an, the epicenter of an earthquake it is absolutely a mind-boggling experience and this was an intense upward thrust earthquake it raised the height of the san gabriel mountain range three feet yeah wow. unreal yeah the whole thing <laughs> it felt like all i can tell people is that it felt like king kong was underneath my um you know my floor just literally jackhammering the floor. I mean, it was so fast, the shaking. It mm. was, it, my mind like went tilt. It just went, it just like fizzled out. Mm. I couldn't quite comprehend. So it's interesting. There's experiences on the planet that we can't comprehend. Like our brains cannot seem to fully grab the magnitude of it. It's just our brains aren't functioning or can't function um, through an experience, which is really interesting. You know, when you think about it, how your brain goes into shock and your your ears change, by the way. When you go through a major earthquake, the noises are so strong and so loud that your ears literally just go, bee. <laughs> you know, it's really That's weird. Intense. Yeah. I've never had an experience like that. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've literally felt the ground go away and, you know, the ground melt. And, wow. and, and as Southern California kids... You know, we you'd have that. earthquakes every once in a oh, while. Oh, going to high school? They're usually like fours or something like that. If yeah. It's like really... Super rolly. Yeah, roll. <laughs> like, oh, you know, that's... But yeah. this one was just nasty. This one, like it went digga, 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 
So it's a constant rumble. It's not just a big violent shake. No, it's a it's like an intense. It felt it feels like uh, think of a jackhammer going down and up like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was used to ones where you're in the car and you felt this kind of rolly like and then it would kind of go up and then just kind of dissipate. You know, and mm. the car would shake a little bit. <clears throat> but um, so when the Bible speaks of like apocalyptic uh, things happening and, you know, the mountains, you know, going into the sea and, you know, these kind of things, um, it's, t- you know, I, I, can, I know what that's like to have your foundation literally taken away wow. and um, you're not able to walk. You know, people a lot of times don't know what it's like to not be able to walk on the planet. Um, but I do. Um, yeah. when you can't even walk and losing everything like that um, ended up me coming out here out to Tucson you left paradise to come to <laughs> and, and you were purgatory working, you were working <laughs> as kind of an IT guy for like one of the warehouse uh, yep. wholesalers that's right and he started showing up at church mm-hmm. and uh, you know we kind of hit it off yep and he started doing youth ministry mm-hmm. and still love he, youth ministry he did just such a great job at that. We just said, well, you know, and finally, it's like, uh, dude, you want to come on staff? Right. He was our first staff guy. Mm. First staff. And what did I say to you? I said, is this legal? Yeah. That's the first thing I asked you. <laughs> That's right. Because I had no clue. That's right. If it was legal to be paid. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how wet behind the ears <clears throat> I was. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and now he runs all our books for us. Right. So, so he can tell you. you if it's legal or not. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and this, at least we know that he had enough integrity to ask the question so that no future things would ever be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, so. I was uh, sitting in the back row during those early days uh, on Wednesday nights. Yeah. So we've uh, we rode the roller coaster of ministry together. And here we we're are. still here. And we're still buddies. And, and we're ready to answer questions. And, and we're ready yeah. to take on the questions. Well, if you want to have a question answered, we would love to hear from you. We take questions about the Bible, the Christian worldview, a specific passage that you might want to have um, sort of a, an educated take on. <laughs> and uh, there are several ways you can inquire and be a part of the program. We do a live stream. We broadcast this live stream to Facebook, YouTube, and uh, multiple other sources that I'll go through in a moment. And we take your questions live. So if you're new and you're just chimed in, maybe you're seeing an archive and you want to catch us live, uh, you can go to Facebook and you can simply join the live stream. Go to the comment section, leave your question in the comment section. Of course, please remember to like our page and share to your feed. So go to facebook.com forward slash at CCF Tucson and you can catch it there. Or if you'd like, you can go to YouTube. And if you happen to catch us on these social media platforms, we would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to subscribe and hit that notification bell. That way you can be notified every time we go live. We don't just live stream this program, but we also live stream <clears throat> all of our services and special events. And if you want to watch on YouTube, you can do so at A Reason for Hope 546. That is our YouTube handle. So you go to youtube.com forward slash at A Reason for Hope 546. If you want to avoid those social media platforms and want to catch our archives, we are now archiving all our programs on Rumble. We're not live streaming there yet, but we hope to in the future. And if you do catch us on Rumble, there's a lot of folks that prefer to be there than anywhere else. Please follow us so we can grow our audience. Our desire here is to 
give reasons for the hope that we have. And so if you share that desire, then please follow and share and comment and like and all those good things. <clears throat> if you want to avoid social media altogether, you can just go straight to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, hit the watch live tab, and you can watch the program live. There's a comment section where you can leave your questions in real time, and we will try to address those questions as quickly as we can. We don't always get to all of them, but if we miss one, we try to catch it on the next program. And of course, there's a nifty little button that if you have a prayer request, please click that, and we'll receive that, and we would be happy to go to the Lord on your behalf. We also have a nifty app. You can download this app from the iTunes or Google Play Store, and on this app, you can see past programs, you can watch the live stream, you can, there's a nifty little digital Bible where you can follow along the messages, you can leave notes, highlight, it's a really awesome app. So be sure to grab that if you want to continue being a part of our online community, as well as if you are a member here, uh, be sure to download that. And finally, if you want to leave a question for the program but want to do it a little bit more discreetly, you can do so by emailing us directly at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, no numbers for those of you listening on the radio, at gmail.com. Also would like to encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter. And you can go to twitter.com, and his Twitter handle is at ScottR4H. Encourage you to do that. With that said, let's pray. Absolutely. And take some questions. Absolutely. Want to pray for us, bro? Yes. Yeah. Father, we want to come before you uh, right now and pray in Jesus' name that you would use us powerfully in answering these questions, that your Holy Spirit would speak through us, and that your word would be that lamp unto our feet, that light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, our first question today is a question dealing with the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And the question, question comes from an uh, individual by the name of Adonai Akim Agdelusi. Oh, Adonai, yeah. Yeah. You know, Adonai is awesome. You know what he does? He is a guy who came to Christ from a Muslim background, uh, lives in a uh, heavily Muslim area in Nigeria, hmm. uh, has a Calvary Chapel uh, pastoral training program there for young men mm. in that area he gets up at two in the morning his time to be a part of the broadcast mm. i love ed need wow he is awesome well he That's was part of the program me. last friday we just didn't have a chance to get to his question and he said hello pastors please a question came up in our new testament class that we're currently doing here at our training center and i'd like to hear your take on it is the author of hebrews saying a backsliding believer or an apostate can lose his salvation in Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. Oh, I love Thanks. this question. I love this question. Should I jump in? Jump in. Okay. Jump in. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 6 is uh, one of those really controversial passages because, uh, you know, it really uh, is, has been called a slam dunk as far as people who teach that you can make a decision to lose your salvation. Uh, and it says this, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away. 
to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinks the rain that often comes upon it, and brings herbs useful for those by, by whom it is cultivated, he receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Sounds pretty dismal. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Mm, important so, verse. So let me take the first part, and Bo, you can take the second part there. Sure. I'll yep. take us up to verse uh, 6, and then you can take over at verse 7. Yep. How's that? Yep. Uh, you know, when this particular passage comes up, again, I've heard it taught that, uh, man, you can lose it. I've heard Calvary pastors say this. I completely disagree. Now, whether you can lose your salvation or not is another issue, you know, where other scriptures really have to be examined. But using this as a proof text for the idea that you can lose your salvation, I think is overstated at the very least. And this is why. Notice it says, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, become partakers of the Holy Spirit, taste the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them to repentance. Now we see these characteristics of a certain category of people. They were enlightened, taste of the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, taste, have, taste of the word of, word of God, the powers of the age to come, and then they fall away. Well, does this mean that a uh, genuinely converted Christian can't lose their faith? Well, you look at this, it sure sounds like a genuinely converted Christian. And many know. people, many people look at this that way. Yeah, enlightened, taste like yeah, partakers of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, my response to that is, okay, hold your horses. Before you jump to that conclusion, there's two things that you've got to take into account. First of all, are these characteristics, enlightened, tasting the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, taste the good word of God, the powers of the age to come? Five things. Are these possible as experiences of non-believers as well as believers? Now, there's, there's no doubt about the fact that believers get in on all these goodies and a whole lot more. But is it possible for a non-believer to have experienced all these things. Well, let's take them one at a time. Uh, the term enlightened there means exposed to light. How interesting that uh, Jesus even talked about Chorazin and Bethsaida and the areas of Galilee who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light, quoting the prophet Isaiah. All the word fatidzo there in the original language means exposed to light. Well, is it possible to be exposed to the light of God's truth and not be a Christian? Well, certainly it is. Uh, the people in those regions of Galilee are, are a little while down the narrative in Jesus' life, called out because if the same miracles uh, were done in them that were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented in sin cloth and sackcloth and ashes. So it is possible to be exposed to the light and not be converted. That can't happen to a non-believer. Next one, tasted the heavenly gift. Well, interesting. What does that mean? The heavenly gift. Uh, you know, we think about the uh, an event where this happened quite literally. Jesus feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and it was portrayed as a picture of the heavenly gift. Uh, Jesus himself giving his body and his blood to save us. Don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food which will lead you to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
Um, were there those who tasted of that heavenly gift, who fell short of that? Well, obviously there were. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. He you know, said that they were going to try to uh, seize him and make him their king by force. He hightails it across the Sea of Galilee. The people there run a 10K race all the way around Galilee, get to where, why did you come here? And Jesus said, you're, you're here not because you saw signs in terms of understanding them. You're here because your stomachs were filled. Don't labor for that food that perishes because there's something bigger here. And then Jesus goes off on an increasingly challenging set of, of teachings saying it's not about the stomach, it's about your heart. That's what God is after. He's after your faith. This is what this is illustrating. So, you know, it's funny. In John 6, 66, of all places, the same people that ran all the way across Galilee to see Jesus again after he fed them suddenly say, this is a difficult teaching. Who can hear it? And it says many of even his own disciples walked away at this point. So is it possible for non-believers who uh, tasted the heavenly gift to turn away from it? Yeah, we see a, a great illustration of that. Let's take another one. Uh, partakers of the Holy Spirit. The word partakers there is really interesting because it's used in the book of Luke chapter 5 to describe uh, Peter and John as partakers, or I should say James and John as partakers with Peter in his fishing endeavor. They were simply with Peter where he was doing something. Hmm. Is it possible to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is doing a genuine gift and still not get it? Well, Acts chapter 2. Remember, after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the disciples were able to speak in languages they never learned. What happened next? Well, some marveled. Others mocked and said they're full of new wine, and some were actually converted. But two out of three really didn't get it. They were there when the Holy Spirit did something, but they weren't moved by the Holy Spirit. They weren't touched by the Holy Spirit. And some could have marveled and not actually have come to faith later on. Absolutely, well. absolutely. How about tasting the good word of God? Well, is it possible to taste the good word of God and not be converted? Exhibit A, King Herod. Loved to hear John the Baptist preach. <clears throat> yeah, he would listen to him often. Even the scripture says in Mark, he did many things after he heard John preach. But when his wife and his stepdaughter uh, put together a, a plot to give him no choice but either lose face or lop John the Baptist's head off. Uh, John the Baptist ended up dying in that horrible way. Would you say that a guy who tasted the heavenly gift, who, or tasted the good word of God, was converted? Herod was not converted. In fact, when Jesus uh, saw him prior to his crucifixion, wouldn't even answer him a word. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, the powers of the age to come. What is that? Well, I don't think there's any more dramatic example of the powers of the age to come than when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Mm. You know, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, you know, it's been there four days, but now he stinketh. Uh, don't, did I tell you, see the power of God if you believe? They rolled away the stone, Lazarus comes out, you know, and apparently he's still bound up in the grave cloths. He's probably just shuffling his way out because Jesus had to say, unwrap him and let him go. Well, at that point, People were believing. In fact, many priests, we were told, believed because they saw this take place before their eyes. But others ran back to the powers that be, and the chief priest said, uh, they said, well, what are we going to do? This guy's doing miracles. Everybody's going to go after him. And the guy says, you know nothing at all. 
better this one man die than the whole nation perish because if we let him keep going like this, the Romans are going to come and take our place and our nation. Mm. Well, even a resurrection from the dead wasn't enough to convert these guys. Mm. So all five of these, right, are possible for non-believers. Do they always apply to non-believers? Yes, I believe so, and this is why. Notice it says it is impossible for those who are enlightened, taste the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, and so on, if they fall away to renew themselves again in repentance. I have heard so many well-intentioned pastors use this passage of Scripture saying, if you've fallen away like this, you've had these things happen to you, and you've turned away from God, you better repent right now, and we're going to have an altar call and come forward. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, time out. It says it's impossible, not really, really hard. I've heard some say, well, you know, it's hard, you know, harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, you know, maybe it's the needle gate and you have to take the baggage off the camel and push him through and, and things like that. No, 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 no. <clears throat> the, the word adunatas, impossible in the book of Hebrews, is really, really powerful. In other words, it's used to say the blood of bulls and goats uh, it is impossible mm. for them to take away sins. So there's no, but everything's possible with God at the end yeah. of this. <laughs> no, no, it's really, really hard, but if you rub enough of that blood on something, maybe it'll take away sins. Here's the kicker. It is impossible, the writer of Hebrews says, for God to lie. Mm. Same word, adunatas. Not, it's really, really hard, but maybe you catch him on a bad day when before he's had his coffee, maybe he'll tell you a fib. No, mm. it's impossible. So for someone to offer an altar call, after saying to people, if this is you, man, you need to come forward. Well, that's ridiculous. It's impossible for them to renew them to repentance. So who is being talked about here? Could it be sincere Christians? And that's where you come in, the rest of the passage, right? <clears throat> yeah, let's jump into it. So uh, verse 6, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Doesn't sound great, right? Um, he gives a parable, and it kind of, you can almost ask a question by hearing this parable, and that is kind of what kind of soil are you? You know, yeah, uh, you can kind of ask that. Does you, the parable of the sower uh, <laughs> shed light on this passage? You think? Yeah, it might. You know, it, it certainly so, right? The 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 word is sown. All these things that were being talked about in the book of Hebrews is you know the heavenly gift and all these things like this. Uh, you know, hard I, soil, shallow soil, contaminated yeah. soil, and finally yeah. it just went out of four good soil. Yeah, hmm. so yeah. it certainly could yeah. be. Um, so this is kind of almost like a little mini version of that parable. Yeah. You know, just kind of like a good question, right? For the recipients, and this is important right now to understand in the book of Hebrews, is that there's a certain group of recipients that are being targeted at certain times in the book. And um, if you don't catch that, then you tend to think that, oh, this is written to the church, like meaning everybody who's saved. And you don't realize that, you know, the writer of Hebrews is writing a very apologetic book. He's writing to defend something and to persuade Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the true Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's making a real neat point here of like, hey, uh, a kind of an admonishment, right? What soil are you? Yeah. And how do we know that? Because the next line. 
Hmm. Right? The next line says what? But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes. Things that accompany what? Salvation. Yeah. And this that's interesting. The writer would say, hey, we're now beloved. We're confident of better things concerning you, meaning this other group of people, right? Things that accompany salvation. Meaning the things I'm just talked about, the things I just spoke about, obviously don't accompany what? Salvation. Right. Yeah. Right? Because he says, hey, I'm confident of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. So if if he's that has that kind of confidence, then he wouldn't be applying what he just said to them. He could not have that confidence if someone could actually do what he just described. Right. But you know, like you said, Bo, there's uh there are multiple factions that you're dealing with here. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish community. Mm-hmm. And in this Jewish community, you had genuine Messianic believers, uh, those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. You also had, uh, well, uh, those who were critical of the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah. They were still part of this Jewish community, <clears throat> but they were critical about that. They needed persuading that he really was the promised Messiah. And so you see this argument, better than the angels, He's better than Joshua. He's better than the law of Moses. He, he offers a better sacrifice than the temple system. You know, and, and the message is always, don't go back. Don't turn back to that. You know, you've got this truth. You understand Jesus fulfilled this truth. Don't go back. Why was that an issue? Well, at this point, the Romans considered Judaism to be a protected religion. Hmm. Christianity, not so much. They consider it to be a cult and not part of Judaism. So if you were a Christian during this time, you could, for instance, have your property confiscated from you. You could be jailed and arrested. You could be beaten for being a believer. You couldn't be treated that way if you were Jewish because Rome said that Judaism was a protected religion because they still had the temple, they still had Herod's deal, and they didn't want to you know, step on toes and so forth, try to preserve the peace. But Christians, no, you know, uh, they considered them atheists because they denied the Roman gods. And the Jews said, they worship this Jesus, so they're, they're on the outs with us. So you have this middle group that's like, uh, yeah, I think Jesus is all of that, but boy, it's getting tough to stand for Jesus. All I have to do is go back to the temple sacrifices, hmm. and I'm safe. Hmm. I'm home free. That explains nope. what? Nobody's going to, yeah, nobody's going to seize my property. The, the Hebrews 10 part where he talks about the sacrifices and he's yeah. addressing that audience. Yeah. Would it be fair to say then that this is one of the few instances in the New Testament where the author's writing to a group of people, not just a church? And maybe that would be a good reason to leave your name out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, yeah. yeah. And it's called the book of Hebrews. I mean, I think that's a great title for the book because, you know, it, it's not the letter to the church in Jerusalem, so to speak, but it's written to the Hebrews. Now, Mm. certainly they could have been a part of the assembly of Jerusalem, but it's written to a certain group of uh, ethnic people, you know, religious Jews. Mm. Um, Certainly some of them were part of the movement called the Way in the early church, but um, obviously some people weren't. Uh, really ha- had not really taken that step forward because it was such, like you said, such a big step, you know, in its historical context. Yeah. And you're right. Hebrews chapter 10 is a great 
another great passage to look at with it because Hebrews 10 says, you know, anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Right. Mm. Right? So you see, even in Hebrews 10, the writer is saying, hey, it, you guys, you know, you think rejecting Moses was serious deal? Man, rejecting the Son of God is a, the new covenant is a serious deal. And so that's what he continues to do is point people to the new covenant. Um, and, and so for those reasons, it makes all the sense in the world that in Hebrews chapter 6, it's not addressing born-again believers, but uh, it's addressing those that are on that edge, right. if you will, need to make a decision. Right, and, and to me... Um, one of the reasons I think this is such an important thing, and you know, it's like, well, you guys are kind of, you know, arguing over the price of tea in China here. The, the reason it's important to see this in this light is that this is really, like you say, Bo, this is an apologetic. This is a, 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 an avenue of outreach to what I consider to be the largest unreached people group in the entire world, spiritual fence sitters. Mm. People that, no, oh, Jesus is cool. Yeah, you know, if you're into Jesus, yeah, you know, he said some really great things. Yeah, I think he's a great teacher, spiritual fence sitters. Boy, and, and sometimes these fence sitters, you know, I have to look at them and say, yeah, if I were in your shoes, I might be tempted to be in that same place. I remember a guy that I roomed with in college, Jewish, came from a conservative Jewish home in California, and we were good friends, and uh, we moved in together. Yeah, we shared an apartment. And he was always asking me questions about the Bible because he knew I was one of those born-agains. It was almost like the forbidden fruit, you know, <laughs> like, oh, we're not supposed to talk to you guys. But you know, I was always wondering about this and this. And one night we were in the middle of this big conversation. And I just said, hey, I, I just want to share one thing with you, Steve. Um, I, I want to read you a passage from the Bible. And, and I said, I read, who has believed our report? And to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender root and a shoot out of barren ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him smitten of God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he just went, well, yeah, that, that's all well and good, but that, that's, that's your New Testament. I don't buy that. I, I handed my Bible and said, no, that's your Bible. That's, that's Isaiah 53. That's, that's your scripture that's saying this. This is 700 years before Jesus. And he was just stunned. And he came back to me a few days later, and, he, and I'll never forget the conversation. He said, you know, he goes, man, he goes, I, I, I really think that Jesus might have been the Messiah. And I said, well, you know, would you like to pray and, and invite me? He goes, oh, no, I can never do that. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, I come from a conservative Jewish home. Uh, you know, part of my family were in the Holocaust. Uh, if I became a Christian, they would declare me dead. They'd have a mm. funeral for me. They'd set up a gravestone. He goes, I just can't handle that. Wow. Yeah, there's one more passage I'd love to read in Hebrews 10, and, and you get the idea of this really interesting group of recipients of this letter and that's why this book is so beautiful by the way it's just an amazing book but therefore do not cast away your confidence this is verse 35 of chapter 10 
So he says to a group of people, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Very important passage in the New Testament, by the way. It's a quotation um, of the Old Testament. And, but it says, the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. And then he encourages the people, right? We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but to those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you can see that in the book, he's saying, don't draw back, meaning don't go back to Moses. Don't yeah, go back exactly. to the first covenant. Yeah. Don't go back to those things. It's, that is not going to save you, right? Mm -hmm. The just shall live by faith, not in the law. So in a sense, it's a real Romans yeah. argument, yeah. you know, of, you know, the just shall live by faith. You know, Similar don't, to what Paul was dealing with in Galatia. Yeah. Right. He was saying, yeah. if you go back to this, you fall circumcision. From grace. Circumcision is nothing, right? He mm -hmm. says. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't, it to, doesn't profit you. To open a big can of worms, mm -hmm. when I run into people who say, "Well, I know I'm saved because I got baptized in water." Right. Hmm. I always, you know, when people say, "Hey, can I be saved? Do I need to be baptized to be saved?" I say, "Yeah, you do. You got to be spiritually baptized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You absolutely have to be immersed in mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, water." No. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an outward sign of an inward uh, yeah, that's a different spiritual story. act. But, so, yeah. but, but there are people that will go back, uh, you know, to their religion. You know, again, in the Jesus movement days, one of the things that we would see is uh, people would come to Christ and they'd come from, say, a Roman Catholic background. And they go, oh, man, you know, I thought I was saved by keeping the sacraments. And I thought I was saved because I, you know, uh, took the man. I thought it was Jesus being sacrificed all over again. And, man, I just, I don't believe that anymore. You know, I, I believe in the once and for all, Jesus. And it's like, man, that's so great. But there's such pressure hmm. from the family to go back, you know, not to rock the boat. You know, what, you're saying that, you know, your dear sainted grandma that went to pray the rosary every day and went to mass every day was wrong? You know, who, you? and boy, I've seen some people who just go, oh, I think I'm <clears throat> going back. Hmm. And you're trying to be saved by works again not by grace. Mm. And the Bible says, don't do that. <clears throat> I've seen it a lot as well in my experience, and it's uh, heartbreaking, but little, small little pushback. Typically, the word repentance is associated with the process that a person goes to becoming a believer and born again. If the, person's, if, if the author is saying it's impossible to be renewed to repentance, how would you respond to someone who would say, well, repentance is something that a non-believer does when they become a believer, so it must be addressing believers because they are having to re-repent, and you can't re-repent from some, something, I guess. Uh, well, I think, I think the fatal flaw in that argument is a misunderstanding of what repentance is. You know, it kind of defines repentance like the bad joke, you know, where the guy says, uh, doctor, it hurts when I do this. The doctor says, well, don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, and, and so we define repentance based upon behavior. You know, you were drinking, smoking, and chewing, and going with girls who were doing, knock that off. You know, we say you have to repent, turn from all known sin, and then Christ can save you. Well, I always get nervous when I hear that because, uh, first of all, the Bible says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can't do anything that pleases God unless we're born again. Hmm. Um, you know, when before we're born again, why do we need to be born again of the Spirit? Because Ephesians 1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So, saying to somebody who is dead in their trespasses and sins, 
you need to clean up your act. You know, you need to turn from all these things or be willing to or fill out some kind of commitment card and then God will save you. Um, it's really putting the cart before the horse at the mm -hmm. very least mm -hmm. or really in a sense preaching a false gospel mm -hmm. because the only thing that saves us is faith in Christ. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, mm -hmm. not of works lest any man should boast. So when people define repentance that way, uh, you know, one of the great, uh, all the word repentance means is it's the Greek word metanoia. It literally means a change of mind that results in a change of heart that will inevitably produce a change of life. But it's that first process. We thought one way about God. We thought one way about ourselves. We thought one way about our hope of heaven. We thought one way uh, about righteousness. We thought one way about the Bible. And suddenly God opens our eyes. You know, mm. we, we turn and we trust. We turn from wrong ideas, wrong beliefs, wrong-headed things, trust in ourselves, put our trust in Christ. In, in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 1 and, and uh, verse 8 and following, great definition of repentance there where the Apostle Paul commends the church at Thessalonica from turning from idols to trusting in the true and living God. Mm. That's what repentance was all about. Wrong object of faith to the right object of faith. Mm. And, and so when someone says, uh, well, you know, renewing them to repentance, you know, that means that they cleaned up their act or they, they did certain righteous things. Mm. Um, that's not what repentance is. Repentance starts in the mind, it works through to the heart, and then it always produces a change of life. Yeah, there's a few, like, if you will, legs mm. to the chair of repentance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but for me to stand up, before our church and say, I hear there's sinning going around here, knock it off. <laughs> well, if you're not born again, that's like the worst piece of bad news you could ever hear because how can you help but sin if you're spiritually dead? You know, you need new life from Christ. How well, are you going to get that? Water stopped being wet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, by, by cleaning up my life. Yeah, um, one other thing I, I would recommend too is that is a good study in Hebrews 6, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Because um, when he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, mm. the basics of the Word of God. So, what the writers, he's not referring to the New Testament, the writer is a Jew. He's referring, referring to the Old Testament, the Torah, the uh, poetic. Uh, works of the of the Old Testament. Yeah, the those prophets. are the elementary things that he's describing. Well, well, he, well, yeah. So the elementary things are, are. He says, "Let us leave aside." Or he says, "Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection." Meaning, there's something that these things are pointing to. Right. You know that these things are are. are there's a fulfillment of these things found in the New Covenant in Messiah. So he's saying, "Hey, Jewish brothers, like we have elementary principles." things that we've been taught since we were little wee kids, you know, going through our little Jewish studies. What are they? Not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance from dead works. Mm. A very Jewish thing to work on. You know, the idea <clears throat> of faith in God. You know, these I can't, doctrines of, of immersions. Right. The Jewish had tons of doctrines on immersions, on mikvah, right? Mm. And it says of laying on of hands, what laying on of hands meant in the Jewish um, educational system, uh, substitutionary sin, 
right? Laying your hands on a sacrifice and saying, this should be me. That's Mm -hmm. right. All these things. He says, listen, lay aside these foundational principles. So when he comes up to verse six and says, if they fall away, did it renew them again to repentance? You could see that he's already talking to a Jewish audience that Mm -hmm. should know what he's talking about. about. So this is somebody who's being described as all the cards are on the table, their foot's in the door, they do not have genuine saving faith, but there's nothing left for them to know. They've put their foot in the door and then they make the ultimate decision no, I don't. I'm not going to take it. And they, they basically, or something behind them meant more, right? Yeah. Than having salvation, hmm. maybe even personal security. There's no new no. information, no yeah. new knowledge, nothing that could go. Oh, if I had known that, I would have believed. But right, this is the end all of yeah. the ultimate rejection of Christ. And there's always that principle: hmm. to much is given, much is required. Jesus said, "You know, the, you've got this." incredibly rich and beautiful background, especially as a Jewish person, Mm. you know, and then you see how Jesus fulfilled all of these things. Uh, You know, it's not like a Gentile's like, well, you know, I'm kind of confused about how we used to worship, uh, you know, Aphrodite and all this other stuff. And how does that, you know, and Mm. the book of First Corinthians is all about that. You know, these are people coming out of, you know, really wild and bizarre backgrounds that, but these individuals here, Man, they have had the freeway, God's freeway of love, if you will, mm-hmm. paved for them. All they had to do was follow it mm-hmm. and it would lead them right into their father's arms. And many of which had experienced the ministry of Jesus, to which he said, had these things occurred in these other cities, in these other times, they would have repented long ago. But woe to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How much is ever enough? Hmm. But uh, man, if you're out there and you're checking out this program because you're a fence sitter, you know, you're kind of interested in Christian things and you think it sort of makes sense, but um, maybe, you know, you're involved with some kind of relationship. Maybe you've got some kind of addiction going on in your life. Maybe, uh, you know, coming to Jesus would cost you, uh, you know, your status or your position in the, your community. Um, can I tell you, there's nothing that is more wonderful than coming to know Jesus as your savior. There, there's nothing in this world, no matter how precious or, or how uh, amazing or fulfilling you might think that it is, that can possibly take the place of uh, having that living relationship with God. Uh, he puts our whole lives together. So, so Bo, if there was a fence sitter out there, mm-hmm. someone that is like, well, you know, maybe this stuff's true. You know, I've been watching this program. I've been going to church. Uh, but, you know, I'm still on the edge. What would you say to them and, and how can they make that decision? Uh, I, I would say you can make the decision by simply, you know, uh, looking into the claims of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the best thing to do. If you don't know, um, don't don't make your decision based off maybe some emotional plea that somebody gives like online per se, because someone else will just give another emotional plea a different way, and you might go that way. Yeah. You know. So you know, I have certainly been a fence sitter in, in my life, and um, you know, the best thing that I ever did was wake up, start studying the Bible, start listening to the word and praying, you know, God convict me, you know, speak to me. And because uh, when conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, then uh, you will, it'll be an, a miraculous yeah. work in your life. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfected in your life in the here and now, but you know that uh, you've heard from the Lord yeah. and you're very confident yeah. of that. So um, that's what I would do. Yeah, and, and so how, how does someone 
get off the fence? How do they make that decision? Yeah, well, they what they do is they open up their Bible and they pray. Yeah. And they seek the Lord. And you come to that place where you believe in Jesus. You put your faith and your trust fully in him. That's what he asks you to do. Yeah, it says, to as many as believed in, on him, you know, to them, he gave the right mm. to be called children of God. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, so that that's what it's about. It's about, you know, you going, hey, you know what? I, I think Jesus is the best authority mm. on the here and now and in the life to come. Mm. And that's what you're saying, you know, when you say yes to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm. You're saying he is my authority on this life and in the life to come. I'm putting my trust in him. Yeah, I really love what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 5 and verse 24 uh, when he said, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He will not enter into judgment, but is passed from death into life. It's so simple. You say, I'm, okay, I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus, yep. and I'm going to let him change my life. Mm-hmm. Lord, come into my life. Make me a brand new person. Mm-hmm. You know, I put my trust in you. It's that simple. I was on Interstate 10 between somewhere between Yuma and Hollywood on my way to headline at the Magic Castle in Hollywood and was listening to Pat Robertson teach through the Armor of God series and I don't know why I grabbed it it was just a set of cassette tapes that my mom had sitting there and I thought well, I gotta listen to something I didn't have AC in my truck and it was August so I was driving at night so that my doves wouldn't pass out from the heat yeah. <clears throat> and I'm just weeping in the car and I also had this song uh, from Campus Crusade that another friend of mine had that he had given me it was just music, worship music, and I thought I'll pop that in. And uh, the song was I Lay It Down with beautiful piano music. And I can't even see the highway at night with the tears. And the oh. whole idea of I Lay It Down, what it meant to me in that moment was stop doubting. You know the truth. You know that it's true. Lay it down. Like Romans 12 where he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Yeah. And it was the idea that Jesus is Lord, which means my will bearer. Here's my will. I lay it down. It now belongs to you. Right. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, wow. That's a great well, thank question. You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the lively discussion. <laughs> yeah. Really good. Uh, yeah. We've gotten exactly through one question so far. But well, it was a biggie. It was a biggie. This yeah. is right up uh, Running Light Ministries Alley, this yes. next question. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and this was a question. Uh, thank you, Zai, for chiming back in, but um, uh, Zai, I think, had asked this question before, and I don't know that we ever cu- covered it, but he said, or it could be she, I'm not quite sure, but uh, is any form of sexual intimacy wrong in marriage? Uh, you know, different types of yep. intimacy. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, and it's one that um, a lot of people don't want to ask because they're kind of embarrassed. Uh, at Running Light, we did a conference one year where this question came up during the Q&A, and I remember people just kind of really freaking out in their chairs, you know, because uh, everybody's squirming. Because it's the question that everybody kind of has, you know, couples usually have, but they never want to ask. Um, and, and it can be embarrassing, you know, to ask this kind of question. Yeah, this came up in the first marriage conference that we did at yeah, Calvary this, Christian that Fellowship. Did, that did. I remember that. That, that was awesome. I remember that. <laughs> we won't comment on that. Yeah, we're, that we're was... not going to describe the question <laughs> yeah. asked, but suffice it to say. Yes, yes. Yikes. I yeah. censored Zai's question a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so we know from, uh, of course, uh, Zai probably knows 1 Corinthians chapter 7 very well. You know, don't deprive one another for a time. Verse 4, our bodies are not our own. 
Um, it says uh, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive uh, each other except with consent for a time. So that's a big word, consent, right? That you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Uh, now, so consent is one of the first things that we have to look at and just go, hey, is there consent with the sexual um, action that's going to happen? We have to realize that sexual behavior has changed over time in radical ways. Um, and I've done blogs and I've done podcasts on this subject, but um, sometimes there's a behavior that we do sexually that um, if you can believe it would shock people of old like even we would call sexual intercourse is a real shock to uh, some ancient people where uh, some people um, older uh, saints if you will felt like any kind of nudity was wrong um, actually to look upon even your spouse in in a with nudity you know her nudity or his nudity was considered wrong they would actually wear uh, some kind of garment over themselves, even in the act of intimacy. And so, you know, we um, sometimes think that everything has been kind of status quo in history sexually, but it's not true. Um, so it's kind of gone up and down all as far over the as place, all over the place. There's times of like, say, in Europe during the uh, Victorian era, era where there's a lot of like uh, prudishness in sexual behavior. And then across the pond in France. <laughs> you during, have, the, the, you the, have the, the masochistic the, movement yeah, going exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, so you have a, a, a large variety. And what we have to remember is that there is a, a, a reason for sex. And one of them is procreation in the Bible. One of them is the experience of pleasure and in the enjoyment of the bond of husband and wife right and so we shouldn't um we shouldn't neglect anything of the purposes of this kind of intimacy we we should just be very reverent when we address uh sexual practices because when you it's just like when you go do deadlifting in the gym you don't you if you don't treat deadlifting reverently you're gonna pull your back you know, <laughs> I love the analogy. Yeah. That so, you, so you have to be careful. And when it comes to sexual practices, hey, honey, I really enjoy this. Hey, honey, I really enjoy that. Or, you know, I really have thought about this, you know, and think of this or whatever it is. It's something where we have to we have to look at that reverently and go and go, honey, what do you think about that? And that means we have to talk with our spouses about our sexual desires or our wishes and our wants. And that alone is very difficult in a marriage. A lot of marriages don't really even talk about sexual desires, right. wishes, or wants. Right. You know, these are really off conversations that do not happen. Unfortunately, um, for many marriages, they don't happen, but they should. You should have a conversation <clears throat> about it because let's face it, there is certain parts of the body that are an Audi. Let me just put it that way, right? Meaning things come out of it. And um, and things aren't known to be put into it, and anatomically, yes. anatomically, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. And I'll just be really discreet in that way. And you know, some people really have a mindset of like, hey, I want to practice this in my marriage bed, right? And that can be uh, very harmful on someone on many levels. Yeah. And 
and biologically it can be just in many ways and if you say to your spouse hey this is you know your body's my body i can do with it whatever i want wow you know uh there's not much consent there you know and and you will do not much love there you know you'll do irreparable damage in your marriage if you do that kind of thing but it's it's another thing to sit with your spouse and say hey i've thought about this and maybe your spouse might ask you a real sensitive question back and say where did you get that idea and you might have to say as a man you know what i've watched some porn and that's where i got that idea and that and, and that might open up a whole pandora's box but it's the one that needs to happen meaning that, that you, you know if your wife says well i don't think we should be doing you know just what your kind of sexual fantasies are you know then you might need to go you know what you're right and that's wrong like it's wrong for me to pick up something you know that's that's you know from that kind of material right. and bring it into my bed and expect my wife to be okay with that you know and 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 i don't know a wife might be into something like that uh, a husband might be in, they might say hell yeah let's try something out well you know what hey i would say if it's not biologically safe caution <laughs> and and i would say if there's no if, if there's not consent <clears throat> don't even go there and but you know a lot of people don't want to open up this door because the the questions that might get asked you know from your spa, from your spouse to you are going to be very difficult questions that you might have to open up your vulnerabilities and admit some failures yeah mm. yeah so i hope that helps yeah thanks for the question hey um there's a uh, kind of an emergency prayer request yeah at uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com comes from casey we love casey she's so sweet mm. says uh, good evening this is casey my mom janice is having shoulder replacement surgery tomorrow would you please pray for her she's anxious and scared we prayed together a moment ago but she would uh uh, also be comforted by God through you too. So uh, we've got uh, literally a prayer uh, network that reaches around the globe. So, you know, let's pray uh, for Janice right now. Father, I thank you that uh, your word says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. That is so cool, Lord, because you aren't just the God of the good times and the God of when we're feeling great and uh, with it in 100%. You are especially close to those who feel like uh, they are afraid. And Lord, I thank you that uh, your word says, uh, let not your hearts be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you and so on. It's just so cool how you say to us, uh, be not afraid, I'm with you. Uh, Do not be dismayed. I will comfort you and strengthen you and establish you. What beautiful promises, Lord. And, and Father, I guess the thing I pray for Janice is this, that um, rather than putting your faith and confidence in doctors, we pray that you would anoint and empower those doctors and that they would do a great job. But even more importantly, you just give her an anointing of faith to be able to see who you are and, and to be able to sense your nearness and your presence, even as she prepares to go into surgery, that she would know that uh, even as uh, she goes under anesthesia, that she is there in your loving arms and that she needs not worry because you who began a good work and you are gonna be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus, you who written every day of her life in your book are gonna take great care of her. So just bless her and bless Casey and the rest of the family we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. thank you for that request, Casey. And uh, 
anyone else listening and don't ever hesitate even if we don't have a chance to pray during the live stream we definitely put those into our prayer chain and as pastor scott said it reaches globally so we would be just delighted to do that yeah yeah time for one more yeah we do um let's see which one to pick uh these are two good ones um uh let's see where did it go oh there we go um Let's do this one. This is a good one. Uh, what's your take on open theism versus Arminianism? Maybe not in 40 seconds, but... <laughs> well, open theism, uh, the bottom line is the idea that God gets surprised by things. That when God created the world, he, the universe, he limited himself <clears throat> to mm-hmm. not knowing how things yeah. were going to shake out. And, uh, you know, to me, that flies in the face of the clear teaching of scripture that God knows the end from the beginning. Um, you know, there's nothing that he doesn't already know. Uh, it's an attempt and Arminianism kind of comes in with the idea of free will versus predestination and all of that. Uh, there's sort of a middle ground called Molinism that states that God knows everything that will happen, everything that won't happen, but he also has a middle knowledge about everything that can happen. And that middle knowledge is how uh, free will is a real and genuine thing. It seems that scripture Mm -hmm. teaches that free will is a real and genuine thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to exclude that. But it also teaches that God is absolutely sovereign and in control. We hold him in tension. Yeah, and we can maybe touch on that a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, Please join us. Thank you for your time. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.